this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Matthew Lesko is a uh, multiple New York Times bestselling author. Um, he has written books like Government Money for Entrepreneurs, Government Money for Women, uh, Money for Retirees. Let me ask you this, Matt. Um, was was because uh, you say you failed a lot, you created businesses, you got your MBA, you went to the military. Was was this your final straw? Because there's a lot of people who are always ambitious and that fire never dies within them and they're constantly going and going and going. And do you have people who kind of have that limit when they give, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial pursuits or businesses, a certain amount of tries and they feel like, well, after this, I'm done with it. Was was this your final straw or were you going to continue, were you going to continue uh, uh, building businesses after you failed? There's two things in life. Like what makes it, I think, uh, keeps you going is fun and and having something that's bigger than you to do. So, because it's so easy to stop. I mean, life's a shitty place to be. You know, we all struggle no matter how old, rich, or poor you are. Everybody's struggling at their own levels. And and, and nothing, very, you don't know what works ahead of time, especially now with our economy and everything changing so quickly. So if you have, I think, a sense of fun and a sense of what you're doing you think is important, if you're having fun, then you're developing, you're growing as much as you can. See, everybody goes to work for somebody else that beats the hell out of them. You know, they, the person even says your boss never tells you you're doing a good job, you know, um, and you're just there for the paycheck. So it's, that's a miserable life. I don't blame them. Yeah, for giving up. If that's what they see life is, if they see life as growing, that every second of your day, this is what we're here to, I think, to, to do. To me, what really works is listening to your heart because everything is so difficult. If you don't believe in it with your heart and everybody's guessing anyway, no matter how much statistics you provide and everything, they're still guessing. Look at the richest, smartest people in the world crash the goddamn stock market. Tom Antion is an author and internationally acclaimed expert in inter- internet marketing for small business. He is a full-time professional speaker who has been featured on major news media worldwide, including the Canadian Broadcast Network, the Australian Broadcast Network, Associated Press, and hundreds of other media outlets across the United States. Everybody wants immediate gratification nowadays. Mm-hmm. They don't get it, they they give up. Mm-hmm. So there's no way you're going to reach your goals or surpass them that way. Yeah, I do think that there is kind of, in, in a way, um, it kind of, it all sorts itself out when it comes to the world of business. Because if everyone was an entrepreneur, if everyone was a business owner, then there would be no employees. We couldn't hire anybody. So in a way, I think it kind of sorts itself out in where there, there has to be employees uh, for, for us like you and um, people like myself to hire, whether as employees or independent contractors. And then there has to be business owners. Because you know if we had a one-sided business world, then nothing would get done. So uh, 
You know, it's you know, as 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 the, the way it is. Sometimes it has to be that way. Because... Well, I, I agree. It, it that's the way it is, and I'm a realist. Yeah, that doesn't mean I have to like it. I agree. <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you. I definitely agree, Tom. If you uh, take it on an individual basis, I want that person to rise above that and and go off and do something and be in control of it and make it thrive on their own efforts. Well, what has been your motivator, your driver, that has driven you to be so successful, Tom? Embarrassment. I, I have a little mental trick I play on myself. Uh, I, I don't really talk about this too much, but the mental trick is is I announce that I'm going to do something to the world, mm-hmm. and then I'm uh, so embarrassed if I don't do it, then it drives me to stay up at night or stay work weekends, evenings, whatever it takes to do what I claimed I was going to do so I won't be embarrassed that I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've done this over and over again in my life. I, when I took over the nightclub, people told me I couldn't do it. Well, uh, I announced that I was going to do it, and I did it. Then I, I moved to Washington, D.C. after the nightclub and told people I was going to open a practical joke business like Candid Camera. And, of course, people laughed at me. Mm-hmm. I did it. I ran it for six years, did 4,000 practical jokes, was on radio and TV all over the world. Uh, so uh, so it's on and on. People, The retreat center I'm sitting in right now, people said, ah, that'll never work. You can't do that. Well, 12 years later, I'm still doing it, you know, multimillionaire uh, for 15 years now. So, uh, you know, I announce things and then I'll scratch and crawl to do them (laughs) so that I don't get embarrassed. For people who don't know, Tom has a video on YouTube called uh, A Day in the Life of Tom Antion, which which, uh, which I actually enjoy. Um, But perhaps for people who did see it, give a bit more detailed version of it, Tom. Like, for example, like how many hours do you work a day? All of them. I mean, why wouldn't you? (laughs) 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 We've given 24 hours. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's it's not right to waste any of them. <laughs> so, so anyway, the the actual title is the a day in the life of a internet multimillionaire. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if they want to look at it, um, but uh, to me, uh, it's not work. And so when you say how often, how much do I work? Well, nothing, none. I, I guess none. I don't. I don't work at all. I I enjoy creating things that didn't exist. I, I help people. So basically, I get up in the morning. I have uh, two personal protection dogs. One of them is worth $50,000. Wow. I exercise them. I feed them. What kind them. of dog is it, Tom? Uh, German Shepherds. I love those dogs. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. And uh, then I, uh, I uh, open up my email. I look at the overnight orders and things that came in. I look at my, I do a lot of consultations, so I have a calendar book next to me. I, I, believe it or not, my calendar is paper. It's a paper book. It never crashed once in my whole life. So it's just a calendar book. And I see what I've got scheduled. In the morning, I do my studying for new internet techniques that I might want to implement. Then twice a week, uh, we get on and have, uh, like you saw the meeting we have with the employees, which is twice a week now instead of every day. And uh, what they're going to accomplish, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and then I do my consultations, and then I run the dogs three or four times a day, and I train them. And I uh, the the one thing nice about this is that I just do whatever I darn well please. I mean, I'm a, I'm into martial arts. I'm into weapons and improvised weaponry. 
I just took a class, a whole day class with a Navy SEAL trainer. Uh, uh, I started a TV show. You know, so I just do anything I darn well please. And the, that's what, what I really love about this is I make my own breaks and I make my own schedule. And uh, I can do it from home. Kamanzi Constable. For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, Kamanzi is the best-selling author of two books, uh, Tales of Everyday Working Man, as well as Are You Living or Are You Existing? Uh, he actually sold 86,000 books um, self-published before he got a traditional publisher. Uh, he also writes for Entrepreneur Magazine, Mind, Body, Green, Huffington Post and the Goodman Project, where he also serves as an editor there. Uh, recently, uh, he had a an article uh, about about him living in Hawaii and making a transition there that has went viral and it has been translated to last time I checked up to four different languages. What were you going through mentally when you were homeless? And uh, talking about some of the challenges that you face, you know, as far as you know, you're trying you're trying to push yourself ahead from this from that situation yeah well i was i was definitely just probably scared a lot of the time um i had to stay on the street a few nights stayed in shelters when the shelters would see how young i was um you know they would kind of separate me a little bit from the general population mm -hmm. um sometimes friends couches so every day was just it was kind of a, a mystery of what was going to happen. And so most of that time I would say I was afraid, but I was, I was determined. Um, I didn't want to be in that situation. I wanted to, to do something for myself. So it was fear, determination. Um, some, sometimes in the middle of the night, it was just terror, you know, random crazy people out and about on the streets. Mm -hmm. So the, the motions were, were kind of wild during that time. Right. And and usually what's unfortunate, Kamanzi, is that someone has to be at the absolute bottom for them to reach the most motivation instead of people really kind of firing up that motivation within them. You know, even when they're at the kind of the comfort level, uh, usually people are not really uh, inspired to really get motivated until it actually hit their bottom. But, you know, I mean, you, you can agree as well as I, you know, usually when, you, when, you're, at, when you're at your absolute bottom and you you are extremely motivated because the only the only only other place to go is up. Uh, I I agree. Um, you do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. You know that you don't want to be there for long, and so yeah, you you start hustling. But while I was delivering bread, I would always see another bread delivery guy who wasn't wearing a uniform. Mm -hmm. And one day I just asked him, I said, Hey, why don't you wear a uniform? And he explained that he was an independent contractor to the, to the bread company. Mm -hmm. He would get 20% of the sales, but he was responsible for all his own stuff, his own truck, his own insurance, all that stuff. He was independent. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that he kind of said that really struck out to me was he said, the problem with this is we don't get anything from the company. So like when we want to go on vacation, there's nobody to cover our routes. And, you know, I heard that and I kind of checked that in the back of my mind. I thought about it for quite a few days. I'm like, there's nobody there to cover vacations. And that's kind of where a light bulb went off. And um, my first foray into entrepreneurship happened was with that, I thought, man, I could be that guy that could cover their routes while they're on vacation. But then again, it was the fear of uh, leaving a steady paycheck. I mean, because I was making good money. You know, mm -hmm. I was 
having great paychecks, 1200 bucks a week uh, sometimes. And so leaving that and health insurance and, and, our, and uh, benefits was really, really scary to think about leaving that for the uncertainty of entrepreneurship. But this guy kind of assured me, he walked me through it, he showed me how many, there was 150 of the independent operators in the state of Wisconsin. So I, I could just get 50 of those and I could have work every every week of the year. And so that, that gave me a little bit of assurance, started saving a little bit of my money for my bread job, putting that to the side as emergency fund, and then just kind of took the leap, said, hey, okay, I'm ready, train me on this, get me in this. He got me in there, he trained me. And quickly, uh, I started getting a lot of work really fast because some of those bread independent operators hadn't had vacation in 12 years. Wow. So, yeah, they had been working hard, no vacation. So it wasn't long once word got around that I was doing a good job before I had more work than I knew what to do with. So, so let me ask you that. Let me ask you this, Kamazi. Um, did you get that position uh, before you got your GED or was that after you got your GED? It, it was after. Oh, okay. 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 Um, and, and, and no, I, I only ask that question because it's interesting because a lot of people have this mindset. Oh, if I want to get a you know a good paying job, you know I need a college degree. Well, as you as we can see, uh, you know uh, Kamanzi uh, making twelve hundred dollars a week only with a high school diploma. Now, of course, you don't have to stop there. I mean, you can definitely build a sustainable, financially free future as an entrepreneur. But uh, for people, because, you know, there's a lot of people that's listening that wants to kind of develop their careers or take their career into different directions. Um, but but those are options and where, uh, you know, a person can pursue there. You know, if that's something that you like and you think you, it can, um, you think you can provide for your family and that's something you can see yourself being satisfied doing, that's great. But uh, I'm glad you Share that example, Kamazi, because a lot of people have the, have this idea that you have to have a college degree to have success, to have financial security, to have all of these things. But you're an actual example of how you was able to make, you know, again, twelve hundred dollars a week, uh, and, and just being a bread guy and just only having a GED. But uh, let's not stop there. Uh, let's continue and talk about, um, you know, uh, talk about what happened after that, because you, because th- then you have a challenge. You kind of have some challenges that comes after that. Well, the the biggest problem was that I didn't know anything about business, so I jumped into business. It was good; the money was there, but I didn't understand um, how to operate a business. I didn't understand. Uh, especially to the money aspect of it, like saving money for your quarterlies and doing your taxes and, and deductions and all that good stuff. I didn't understand any of it and I didn't read about any of it. So the money would come in and it would go right back out. Um, I mean, there was, I remember one week, Callan, that I had gotten, I had done a route for a guy. It was a really large route. Um, and I, I'd worked hard on it, but uh, at the end of that week, I got a check from him for $3,300 for one week's worth of work. And I, I would have good weeks like that, and the money would come in, and I would just, I felt like I was a millionaire. <laughs> I would go out and I'd uh, buy like rounds uh, for my friends, We'd, we'd or I'd go to restaurants and, and pay everybody's tab, and um, had nice cars. I had a couple. Of, <laughs> yeah, I, I lived really good. So to go from homeless to making that kind of money in like a two year span was just, it was almost too much. 
And so at the end of that first year, when I ended up going to CPA and doing my taxes, that's when I kind of got a rude awakening. Like, um, the tax bill that that first year doing this business on my own, I had made like $86,000 and then i uh, not done anything with Corley's, not done anything with taxes. And then I got this tax bill for like $22,000. And I'm like, who's paying that? You know, <laughs> where is that money coming from? And so that's where the problem came in. Do you want to start reaching the finish line? Then start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Great, great. So from there, you, you kind of really came to a crossroads and you decided, well, hey, you know, I, I can't do this. And I'm quite sure that you owe these taxes made your wife upset. So uh, what, what, what was the, uh, you know, what was this? What was that following step that preceded your subsequent steps and you going into a new direction? Um, so I, the business continued to grow, but I continued to spend. Um, and six years into the business, uh, it was $90,000 in debt. Um, but the money was still good. At that point, I had five employees. We were operating in three states, so it was still growing. But the, the month, the, when the debt was piling up like that, that's when I started having problems with the IRS and the Department of Revenue in the state of Wisconsin, where they wanted their money <laughs> and they wanted it now. <laughs> so um, they were constantly putting liens on stuff and constantly coming after us. And I just kind of limped on for the next six years. Mm-hmm. So come to 2011, it was 12 years in and we were 180 grand in debt. And we couldn't even open a bank account in our names because they were coming after us so bad. Um, my cars got the cars. I had so, like a beautiful Nissan Armada that was fully loaded. I had another Nissan Pathfinder. We had a couple houses. The cars got repoed. The houses were in foreclosure. Um, everything just came crashing down uh, on us just from my my poor money management and my poor decisions. And that year, you know, was was a rough year. Because of the money problems, my wife and I had problems. Um, because of the money problems, um, I was always stressed. I was always angry. Um, we ended up separating. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know what to do. I, I thought there was just no hope. Now, at that time, uh, did you? that's when you had your first child or your second child? or uh, By then, we had all three children. Oh, so that must have been very difficult. Very, very hard to yeah. be separated from the kids. Yeah, yeah it, it was very hard. Yeah, so so what was the next step from that, Kamazi? Um, so from there, after crying for like the whole summer, um, that's when I kind of rediscovered uh, something that I had forgotten about a long time, mm-hmm. and that was my love of writing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when everything was going bad and there was nobody I could really talk to, that's when I started journaling everything that was that was going on and happening just to kind of get it out of my head mm-hmm. and to get it out of paper. And I spent that entire summer journaling. After the At the end of the summer, I looked down and I had like a notebook full of material mm-hmm. here. 
Um, and it ended up being like 30,000 words. Wow. And this was, this was handwritten. So this wasn't on a laptop. I actually wrote this out um, because I didn't really touch computers at that point. Mm-hmm. But at the end of that summer, I thought, what, what can I really do with this? And I didn't think much of it. But then I happened to be a couple weeks later reading the story, a USA Today, and I read the story of a woman named Amanda Hawking, mm-hmm who had self-published some books and I'd never even heard of self-publishing up to that point, to be honest with Uh you. Like it was, I'd never heard of it. Uh And she had self-published her books, done it on her own. And in an eighth month span, she had sold a million copies of her books Uh all on her own. She didn't have, she wasn't a celebrity or anything like that. I thought, man, if this girl could do it, she's 19. She's from Minnesota. Why couldn't I take this? This was a good amount of material. Why couldn't I take this self, do the self-publishing thing and actually make some income, enough income where we could pay this debt down and I could get out of doing this bread stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the idea of my first book came from. I took those notes. I started typing them out, which was just a pain <laughs> to type all that stuff out. I was very slow and didn't know what I was doing. And I ended up typing out 30,000 words. And that became my first book, which was uh, self-published in August 11th of 2011. Okay. And then from there, um, you, you wrote that book. And then you went ahead and wrote the following book, which was um, Are You Living or Are You Existing? And, yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the the book, I put the book out there in August. I didn't know anything about book marketing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you probably know, a book lives and dies by the marketing. Mm -hmm. And so the book didn't do well. Uh, But I spent the beginning of part of 2012 just kind of figuring out how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about where I was in debt, I was 170 pounds overweight, separated from my wife. Mm -hmm. We were living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. which was just getting a pretty dangerous place to live. Mm -hmm. And I thought about where I wanted to be with my dreams that's where the nine steps for my book, Are You Living or Existing, came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the original title of the book was The Difference Between Living and Existing, A Nine-Month Plan to Change Your Life. Uh, I and see. I had given myself nine months to change, to, to make these changes. Mm-hmm. Not to lose all the weight and you know, not to make miracles, but nine months to start this journey. Mm-hmm. Nine months to do something. And when I had written that book, I hadn't done these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was telling the world that I was going to do them and the critics were very quick to, to point out when that book came out, like, you know, this guy's writing about stuff he hasn't done. Mm-hmm. And I just ignored him because it was my, it was like my manifesto. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I, I, I came up with the nine, uh, months of what I was going to do each month. And it was really practical stuff. Like the first month was identify your dream, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know what my dream was, and but I figured out that it was to write. Writing was a big part of that dream, mm-hmm. and so that that's where I started. And then month two was getting fit. Um, I knew that my physical fitness played a huge part in everything else, mm-hmm. so I knew I had to do that. And I went on throughout the other uh, seven months of the of what ended up becoming the book. Mm-hmm. And so I put those books out there. Uh, I had figured out a little bit as far as online marketing and reaching people online, getting exposure to the to larger audience was was pretty much what it boiled down to. And that book was published in March of 
2012. And it just so happened that that month I got featured on a really large blog, a guy named Michael Hyatt mm -hmm. um, had featured it. And I had sold a lot of copies the first month that book came out after being featured on Michael Hyatt. It sold 5,000 copies in the first month. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it just, it kind of, it kind of took off. And when the book started selling really well, like when the book scan numbers started started adding up mm -hmm. and it was looking really good. Then I started getting some offers from publishers. Mm -hmm. Publisher came in and said that, um, people aren't going to commit to nine months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's probably the truth. Mm -hmm. So they retitled the book to, are you living or existing to ask the question? Mm -hmm. And then it's a nine step plan to change your life. Right. I think, uh, I think that's important because a lot of times, Kamanzi, people have this false expectation that, you know, you know, once an author puts a book out, you know, and they see the book on a, they see the book on a bookstore shelves, they think that they've made it, and they think that you know they don't have to do anything, and they can just watch and, and allow the big bucks to roll in, and a, a lot of them fail to see that as an author, you're also a marketer, and if you're not willing to take that proactive step, then you're going to cease failure. Uh, for people who are already big household names, usually they don't even pursue their book deals. They actually have agents to go on their behalf. And just because the publisher already sees the existing platform that these uh, icons have, they make it they make it their job to really, really put a lot of money behind uh, these icons because they know that their guarantee of of a return on investment is going to be is going to be great. You know, a lot of these no a lot of these uh these uh new authors, you know, who really has no track record behind, publishers are very wary and they don't want to take that risk and uh risk losing, you know, potentially thousands of, of dollars. So uh, it's so when it comes to the average author, it's more of a 50-50 deal. You have to sometimes, sometimes really, authors more like 75%, 25%. But you really have to, you really have to uh, go all in and and, uh, and be the marketer behind your book. And your publisher is going to help. And uh, and you know, and some publishers may give a little, while others may give more. But uh, it's really up to the author to be um, the driving force of the book. Yeah, if you're not um if you're not Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or you know some celebrity where you can just go throw your name on a book and it's just going to fly off the shelves, yeah, uh, it's going to be up to you no matter what situation you're in. Yeah, agreed. So after after you wrote the article for Michael Hyatt, you started seeing a lot of success and and um you know basically uh, what's powerful about what Kamanzi is talking about is uh, once you write the article, you get a little you get a byline, you get a little bio box where you can say you know you know you, you know Kamanzi Constable is you know author of such and such book and then. Uh, you can also put your links there, and that's powerful because usually, if the person likes the article, they want to also learn more about uh, what, you're, which, what you're also doing um, in the online world. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's a powerful way. And talk about how that kind of opened up other doors as far as writing opportunities. Yeah. So once I saw that I could write for places like that, um, I kept doing that. And that was kind of my go-to strategy. If I could go to a place that had half a million visitors and they're going to let me write an article and it's going to link back to my website, I thought I want to do this a lot. So I did it 50 times in 2012, 50 different blogs. I did it a lot. I don't know how many times in 2013, but it was still a lot. A lot of times in 2013 and I really started building an audience. And so 2014 comes around and um, the strategy didn't work as well. I mean, it still works, 
But like guys like Michael Hyatt, you're not going to uh, I would wouldn't be able to guest post for him anymore because mm. he doesn't take them. And so, so some of these larger places have kind of put a halt to that. And so I wanted to go beyond that even in my writing. And so I looked at places like the Huffington Post, Entrepreneur Magazine, Mind Body Green, just these really big websites, a lot of traffic, a lot of people. And I kind of thought that these were an untapped opportunity. Um, they're places that we don't normally see like internet marketers. They're not really on these type of places yet. And so I thought this was an untapped opportunity. I want to try to reach out. And I did what I what I normally do. I, I studied what kind of content that they have on the site. I studied who would be the right person to contact. I wrote an article and I sent it to that person. It was really that simple. And uh, thank you for being a guest and reaching the finish line. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan. Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist, has seen a Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.